God has given us, right? He, he has given us gifts and talents and abilities uh, to serve him, right? Uh, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that uh, God has prepared in it, in, in, uh, beforehand good works that we would walk in them. So God has already prepared good things that, that we are to step into and to serve the Lord and to serve others with. But it also means we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to step in those opportunities that God gives to us. Because when we're not pre- prepared, we end up missing out. Uh, I know for me, I was trying to think of times where I just was not prepared. And one thing that really stuck out to me was a few years ago when I was, um, when I was doing my, 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 my seminary schooling. And uh, part of it required me going up to Portland uh, to do some in-person classes up there and uh, it was in the fall that I had to go and I was checking the temperature and weather because you know I, I was born and raised in, in Hawaii so our weather is pr- pretty chill so I saw on, the, on that weather app that Portland was like 40 degrees in the early morning 50 I'm like ah that's like a little colder than here so I'll just grab some jeans and grab a jacket and I remember Trisha telling me y- you gotta dress warm like you gotta get warm clothing and in my mind I'm like ah, it's not snowing so I'm good Right, that's just, all I know is Hawaii weather pretty much. And so I, I just packed the extra, uh, like a jacket, like a windbreaker jacket, jeans. I'm like, I'm good. I'm covered up. I'm good. So um, uh, one of the mornings I was there, it got to 40, around 40 degrees. And um, I thought to myself, okay, I'm just going to put on my jacket. I'm going to put on my jeans. And what I would do is I'd walk from the house I was staying at. It was about a mile to, uh, to the seminary. And it was, it's a really nice walk. There's like a lot of shops on the way. Just a fascinating, we have been to Portland. It's just kind of interesting. And so uh, it, it was a fun, nice walk in the morning where it's like cool, still dark. And so I got up early in the morning, was going to walk to school. And once I stepped outside, it felt like I didn't have a jacket on. Like the wind and, and, and the coldness just, just went right through my clothes. It, it felt like I was in a Costco freezer. And I, I remember telling Trisha when I got home, like, I was freezing, and she's just cracking up because she knew, like, like I, I was wrong and she was right, and she's just cracking up. And uh, so I got out there, I, um, I stepped out of the house freezing, and I knew there's no way I could walk it that mile. So I ended up having to shell out money and, and pay for an Uber to drive me a mile to, to, uh, to my school. And I, I thought about, like, oh, I was, I was not prepared uh, for, 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 uh, for that trip. I wasn't prepared for the weather, and it costed me money to pay for that Uber. Uh, it costed me a really nice walk in the early morning past all those shops, and um, it was cold. It was really cold. But see, God is preparing us for good works, for opportunities that we are to step into. And when we're not prepared for these opportunities, sometimes we miss out on them. Sometimes we miss out on the joy of stepping into into those opportunities. But not only that, we'll miss out uh, experiencing God powerfully working in these opportunities because we weren't prepared. This morning, as we continue through Joshua, we're going to look at, okay, what does it look like then as a people of God to prepare for the work of God? And as we look at chapters 3 and 4 in Joshua, God is preparing the people to enter the land, but the people also needed to consecrate themselves to prepare for the work that, that and the opportunities that they were going to step into. So let's, let's look at Joshua chapter 3, starting with verse 1. 
It says, Joshua started early in the next morning and left the Achaia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went to the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, carried by the Levitical priests, you are to break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourself and the Ark. Don't go near it, and here's why, so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. Right, so God's people were wandering in the wilderness 40 years Right, because of their rebellionness and stubbornness. And in God's grace and mercy, he finally right, um, leads them into the promised land through the leadership of Joshua. And God tells them that they are to be followers. They are to follow the Ark of the Covenant. Because they've never been that way before. As God was preparing them for this opportunity they were going to step into, into the promised land, they needed to humbly follow. They had to be humble. That's the first way we prepare ourselves for the work of God in our lives. It's, it's through an attitude of humility, being humble, recognizing who God is, right? He's the leader. Recognizing who we are. We are his people, his sheep, his, his followers. We are to get behind the ark and not in front of it. The Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of God's presence and God's power among his people. It was a physical representation of the living God that was leading his people and acting on their behalf. And God tells them to stay behind so that they could see where they're to go because they've never traveled that way before. They're entering into new territory. So they need to keep their eyes fixed on that Ark. And that requires humility. Because I'm sure there are probably people that were in this group that maybe wanted to go on ahead. Maybe they felt like things are going too slow. I want to I, I go on ahead and do my own thing. Maybe some thought, you know, we, I got a better plan. We don't need to cross this Jordan River. As we'll see, is, it, it's not the ideal time to cross this river. I want to go in a different direction. But God was calling them to humble themselves and to trust his leading. And you know, that is not in our nature as human beings. Right, think about our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. Right, God created them to look to God as their leader, to trust in him, to follow him. God placed them on, on the earth to be his representatives, but they didn't want to play by God's rules. Right? They wanted to lead. They wanted to define their own way of living. They wanted to define and have authority over what is right and what is wrong. And that's what really eating from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil is about. Them having the, the, the authority over what is right and wrong. They deciding what is best for themselves. They wanted a sovereignty apart from God. But it ended up being in their death, right? And humanity's death, right? It's, it's like a flower that is cut off, detached from the branch. The flower might look alive, might look beautiful, but we know that after a few days, it's going to shrivel up because it's dead, because it's disconnected from the rest of the branch. See, we were created to be connected to the Lord as our leader, to be humble and recognize that we are most free when we are dependent upon him. And so maybe in this new year, right, we're in a situation, or we're going to enter one, where it's, it's new territory. Like, we've never been this way before. 
Our family has never encountered the situation that we're in right now. And God is leading us, right, to step into these, these new experiences. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's in certain relationships. And we just haven't had any experience in this situation. And I think it's tempting to just kind of want to do things our way, want to do things uh, in a way that we feel is, is wisest, to trust our own plans, and yet, this is an opportunity for us to humble ourselves and to go to the Lord and recognize, God, we've never been this way before. This is new to us. We, we need you to lead us. We need your wisdom. We prepare for God's work as we are humble and look to God as our, our leader. But we also look to God, right, as the powerful God that we can expect great things with. That's the second way we prepare for the work of God. It's to be expectant, to expect that God will work on our behalf. He will do great and awesome things in us and through us and among us, even when we don't see it ourselves. Let's look at verse 5. It reads, Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Then he said to the priests, carry the Ark of the Covenant and go ahead of the people. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of them. So the people could expect that God would do awesome things. And we're going we're to see this, right? That the same God who parted the Red Sea is going to do awesome things on behalf of the Israelites now. This is the same God who works in our lives and loves to do awesome things in and through us. I mean, think about the things he's already done. He has freed us from the power and authority of sin over our lives. He has broken in our lives addictions and, and, and destructive habits. He's restored uh, messy relationships in our lives for God's glory. We've seen God lead people to Jesus in our lives that we thought would never come to know Jesus. God is doing awesome things around us. This is the same God who a, hundred, uh, a couple hundred years ago on our islands used Henry Opukuhia, a native Hawaiian, to lead a renewal, a revival in Hawaii through his life and writings. A couple hundred years ago, he sailed off to the East Coast and uh, through his life, through his writings, inspired missionaries to come to the islands. And, and he never made it back. He died. He died on the mainland. But because of his enthusiasm to, to see the people of Hawaii come to know Jesus, he inspired people to make their way to the islands with the gospel. And, and as a result of it, thousands of people came to trust in Jesus in the 1800s. In fact, Hilo, at the time, ended up having the biggest church in the world of over 10,000 members in Hilo. Right? That is the God that we are serving a God who does wondrous and awesome things. And he calls us, right, to be expected, to consecrate ourselves. Right, consecrate means to, to set apart, right, for devotion to God. It, it's God who, he's the one who makes us holy. He's the one who sets us apart. He's the one that forgives us and cleans us from our sins. And then in response to God's saving work in our lives, right, we are to prepare ourselves for God's work, to consecrate ourselves, right? to set Christ in our hearts as, as he's the one that we are devoted to. 
He's the one that, who is our leader. We're to fill our minds with his word and to be expecting God to work, that we are his vessels that he is going to use to consecrate ourselves. And then, right, as we get ready for God to work, we're to then get involved. We're to get involved. Not stay on the sidelines, but actively look for what God is doing and join him in the work that he is calling us to. We're not just passive recipients. Now, there are things that we just receive out of God's grace, right? Like our salvation. We didn't do a single thing to earn our salvation. Right? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Right? We did nothing that could get us into the family of God. But a lot of times in our lives, right, God calls us to participate. Participate in the work that he is doing in the world. It's getting involved. And we see that with the Israelites. Look at verse 7. The Lord spoke to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so that they will know that I will be with you just as, with, as I was with Moses. Command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the edge of the water, stand in the Jordan. Then Joshua told the Israelites, Come closer and listen to the words of the Lord your God. He said, You will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly dispossess before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Pezites the Girgashites, the Amorites, and Jebusites, when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of the whole earth goes ahead of you into the Jordan. Now choose 12 men from the tribe of Israel, one man for each tribe. When the feet of the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of the whole earth, come to rest in the Jordan's water, its water will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will stand up in a mass. When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant, ahead of the people. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. But as soon as the priests carrying the ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at its edge. And the water flowing downstream stood still, rising up in a mass that extended as far as Adam, a, a city next to Zarethath. The water flowing downstream into the Sea of Agrabah and the, and the Dead Sea was, the Dead Sea was completely cut off. And the people crossed opposite Jericho, the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Right? It had this miraculous stopping of the Jordan River, creating dry ground for the Israelites to come across. And so God commanded the priests to step into the Jordan River, and as their feet right, hit the waters, the waters stopped, and there'd be dry land, for them to come across. Now, the distance of that dry land was probably around 18 miles. So think about 18 miles of river that's all of a sudden dry so that, you know, 100,000 to 2 million people could cross this dry ground, cross the Jordan River. Now, here's the thing, right, is they weren't like stepping over a puddle or stepping over like a tiny river. They weren't even like crossing the Uwanu stream. It wasn't anything like, like that. Uh, this was happening during the spring where the river would be, uh, the, it'd be the largest. And Joshua makes sure that the reader knows that this is not the best time to cross. In verse 15, he said, the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season, right? This is the worst possible time to try to cross over this river. 
because it was when it was the, the most rain and the river was widest and deepest, right? This, this is not the ideal, ideal time to go. So during this, this springtime, the river normally is about 90 to 100 feet wide. So it would have been wider, this river, than 90 to 100 feet. Not only that, it's normally about 3 to 10 feet deep, this area of the Jordan River. And so this would have been deeper than that. So again, it's not just jumping over a short stream. It's not, it's not like hopping over a puddle, right? This was dangerous. The waters would have been, been just gushing and flowing and raging downstream. Right? It kind of makes me think of when it gets really rainy down here. And you read, you know, we see on the news, like, kids playing in the canals and, like, they almost get swept away. It gets pretty wild, right, in some of our canals when, the, when it's just raining, raining really hard, and, and the water just comes raging down, and it gets really dangerous. Well, this was, this is worse than that. This is far wider than that. And God is calling them to cross at a time that was not ideal. Was not ideal. See, there are times where, where, where God is going to open up opportunities for us where we're going to think, man, this is not convenient. This is really inconvenient, right? Crossing a raging river at the worst possible season, right, is not convenient at all. And God miraculously creates this dry ground. And I'm sure there were people in the group that were questioning Joshua, like, Joshua, are you sure we should go now? Should we just go around the river? It'll take us a lot longer, but can we just go around? Or can we just wait? Can we wait it out un un until it's not, the, the river is not as full? But see, there are times where God will call us to step into opportunities that he has prepared. And it's, it's not going to be inconvenient. It's not going to be convenient. It's going to be out of the way. But we sense the Spirit nudging us and prodding us to, to step into it, even though we know it's going to mean sacrifices. Now, I, I do want to give a, a, a little caveat to this, right, as we think about this, is um, we're, we're not to look at this, this account of Joshua and use it to validate foolish decision-making. Like, for example, right, if we're drowning in debt, right, it'd probably be really foolish to, to make large purchases that we know we're not able to pay back we wouldn't, we wouldn't say, you know, this is my, you know, this is my Jordan River. I know I shouldn't be making this purchase, but God's going to part this river. I, I just know it, right? That's where we need the wisdom of God's word. That's where we need the wisdom that comes from the community of God who can help weed out just selfish or fooly, uh, foolish types of decision makings and motivations that we sometimes have that blind us from making really bad decisions, Right? That, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about when God opens up opportunities where it's just inconvenient. But yet he's calling us now is the time to step out. Where it would be easier to say, nah, let's just wait. Let's just wait till things get calmer. Like for us as a church, when we replanted in October last year. Right? We, we could probably come up with a lot of reasons to say, you know what, let's just wait another year. Let's just wait a couple years. But as Mike and I were praying as we got together with, with our ministry leaders. Right? We were sensing uh, the Lord leading us to step out. See, when we are involved in what God is calling us to do, we, we may not see the big picture of things. We may not even see results right away. Like, think about these priests. Right? They needed to step into the water first before the Jordan would be dried up. Now, that's in contrast to the Red Sea. 
right? When, when, when the Red Sea was parted with Moses and the people, the sea split first, and then the people went through. So sometimes, right, God will make it very clear, right? Everything will just open up and say, oh, this is clearly the Lord. Let's step. Other times, like the Jordan River, it's like, you know, I sense the Spirit leading me into this relationship. I sense the Spirit leading me into this new thing at work, but I don't see all the things happening, but I, I, th I think the Spirit's leading me. And that's where it's like the Jordan where we need to step first, and then the Lord stops up the water. Sometimes it's like that, I find, in our lives. We need to step first. Now let me give another caveat to that. Okay, there, there are also times in our lives where we're stepping, we're thinking, okay, I, I think this is an opportunity that God's giving me. And we're stepping, but then we're blocked off. That river is not, is not parting. It's not drying up. Uh, the river is still raging. And so there are times when we're, we're trying something that we think is the Lord, and things are not working. And it, it could be that God is saying, hey, hold up. I want you to go somewhere else. I want you to step into this other relationship, this other opportunity. Like in Acts chapter 16 with Paul. Paul wanted to share the good news in Asia, and he was trying to go there. But it's fascinating because Luke records in Acts 16 that Paul was trying to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit would not allow him to go. That's interesting, right? Because that's a good thing. He wanted to bring the gospel to Asia, but God was not letting him go. He wasn't trying to frustrate Paul, but what we find out if you read the book of Acts, it was because God wanted him to go to Macedonia, Greece, instead. So there are times where right, we're stepping out into certain opportunities and the river's not parting. And it could, it could be that we're to keep going, possibly, but it could also be that the Lord is saying, I got something else for you. And, and, and that initial step was to build a trust in God. It was to build a dependency upon him, to teach us, to give us wisdom and experience. And now God is saying, all right, here's where I want you to go. But in this case here, right, the people were to step, the priests were to step into that river. God would, would stop the water, and then everyone was to go across. Every single person was to go through. In other words, all of God's people are involved in God's plan. No one is left out. We're all called to get involved in the work of God in our world. And we can trust him to, to steer us when we're, we're, we're hitting rivers that don't, get, that, that don't get parted. We'll trust him that he'll steer us in the direction that we are to go. But we are simply to step and to get involved and to trust, to trust him. Finally, as we prepare ourselves for the work of God, we're to remember. We're to stop and remember God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to us. And we'll see why. Let's look at chapter 4. We're going to actually just read through this chapter. It says, After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, Choose twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, Take twelve stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan, where the priests are standing. Carry them with you, and set them down at the place where you will spend the night. So Joshua summoned the 12 men he had selected from the Israelites, one man for each tribe, and he said to them, Go across the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you lift a stone into his shoulder, each one for each of the Israelite tribes, so that this will be a sign among you in the future. 
When your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them the water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the Ark of the Lord's Covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters, Jordan's water was cut off. Therefore, these stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. The Israelites did just as Joshua had commanded them. The twelve men took stones in the middle of the Jordan, one for each of the Israelite tribes, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the camp and set them down there. Joshua also set up twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan, where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. The stones are still there today. The priests carrying the Ark continued standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people. Keep, uh, in keeping with all that Moses had commanded Joshua, the people hurried across. And after everyone had finished crossing, the priests with the Ark of the Lord crossed in the sight of the people. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh went in battle formation in front of the Israelites, as Moses had instructed them. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed to the plains of Jericho in the Lord's presence. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him throughout his life as they had revered Moses. The Lord told Joshua, Command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up from the Jordan. When the priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up from the middle of the Jordan and their feet stepped out on solid ground, the water of the Jordan resumed its course, flowing all over the banks as before. The people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and camped at Gilgal on eastern, uh, the eastern limits of Jericho. Then Joshua said in Gilgal, uh, set up in Gilgal twelve stones they had taken from the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. This is so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong, and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. So here's the thing, so the, the Israelites cross over miraculously the dry Jordan River bed and come on the other side. And I think the natural instinct probably would have been, all right, God did this amazing miracle. Everybody's pumped up. Let's continue the mission that God has, has, uh, has, has given us. Right? Israel was to be uh, God's chosen instrument of mercy and justice to the wicked nations around them. And I'm sure there were people in the group that were saying, oh man, I'm pumped. God has done a miraculous thing. Let's get on with the mission. They were probably jazzed to get to work, seeing this miracle of God. But instead of that, right, God tells them, okay, wait, hold up. I want you to set up two memorials, one in the Jordan River itself and one at Gilgal. Very interesting, right? He tells them to stop. Right? They're enthusiastic, probably, Let's pause. Let's take a pause and let's set up these memorials to remember. Remember the Lord's faithfulness to his people. To stop and remember the Lord. That God is with them. That he comes through with his promises. It was to remember that, that the work of God is ultimately not based upon our strength and our wisdom, but upon his spirit. And God really wanted them to put effort into these memorials, right? He really wanted to cement in their minds, right? Remember the Lord. Right? Just think about the effort that they had to put. The Israelites, right, 
one person from each tribe had to carry these heavy, large stones on their shoulders all the way to Gilgal, which was at least a couple miles. Right? So they're lugging these heavy stones uh, to set up a memorial there. It was not not a short walk. And again, every tribe was involved in this. But not only that, but God wanted them to set up a memorial in the Jordan River where when the waters would, would go back over it, you couldn't really see it, right, from the top. But he wanted them to set it up in the riverbed. And I'm trying to imagine the priest, right? Like, you're the priest carrying this heavy Ark of the Covenant, a symbol of God's presence, and you're supposed to stand in the riverbed until everybody, and it says, Joshua says, they hurried across, right? Because it's like, we don't know when God's going to unleash the waters again. And if I'm the priest, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm last in line. Like, hurry up. Like, let's, let's get moving, right? So everyone's going across, and the, the priests are like, let's, okay, I'm, I'm ready to get out of here. Let, let, let's go. And Joshua says, wait, hold up. Yeah, wait. I got to set up a memorial in this riverbed, right? And, and they must have been like, oh my gosh, Joshua, hurry up. It's kind of like, you know, when you're, you're carrying a large piece of furniture, it's super heavy, and you know you got a group of people carrying it with you, and you're shaking, your, your knees are locking together. Uh, imagine, right, and you're just trying to move this furniture wherever you're trying to take it, that heavy couch. And then, uh, you know, uh, someone comes up that's not carrying the couch and says, hey, wait, man, this is amazing. You guys are carrying this, this huge couch. Let me get a selfie with you guys, because this is amazing. Right, and you're like... No, like, like I, I can barely carry this, 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 hold this, this couch. But it's kind of like that, right? The priests are, are carrying this heavy Ark of the Covenant. They don't know when the water is going to come again. The, the people are hurrying across, and Joshua's like, hey, wait, hold up. i got to set up a memorial here. You guys got to stay here longer. Right, God is right, intentionally having them put a lot of effort into setting up these memorials. Why? So they would not forget the Lord. Right, because God's people are so prone to forget God's faithfulness in their lives. That's our human tendency, right? To forget the ways that God has come through in the past. And we get stressed out in the present. We have that tendency. And so God wants us to to be intentional about remembering him and then telling others about his faithfulness, like how they were to tell their children. We even see Moses reminding the people, hey, when you get into the land, don't forget the Lord. Right? Because when they enter the land, they're going to prosper. They're going to experience a lot of just success and, and wealth. And, and that's when our tendency to forget, the, uh, to forget God oftentimes is the highest. And we'll end up putting our hope and putting our infections into the things that we receive from the Lord rather than the Lord themse- himself. And we end up trusting in the things that God gave us rather than God himself. And so God wants the people to set up these memorials. But memorials also help us because when life doesn't go the way that we expect, when life doesn't go the way that we have hoped, we can often get bitter. Bitter at our circumstances. And that's where God's memorials help because it it reminds us that God was faithful in the past, so God will be faithful with us in the present. That God has not abandoned us, but is still working on our behalf. So as we step into opportunities that God has given us, as we're maybe already in certain opportunities that, that, that God has given us, right, we need to be intentional about stopping and remembering God's faithfulness to us. A memorial is a 
physical reminder of God's goodness. And God gives us all kinds of memorials. We see that in, in the scriptures where God gave us the rainbow after the flood. Right? God gives us uh, this fi- these physical pictures. For the Israelites, it was these stones that would remind them of God's great deliverance. What are memorials in your life? Right? Things that, that remind you of God's faithfulness in your life. Like maybe uh, there was, you, you had a financial crisis and God miraculously came through where a family member or a friend provided for you and they didn't even know you're struggling financially. Right? And, and that is a memorial for you to remember God's provision. Or maybe uh, for some of us, it's, it, it was a time in our lives where we we're experiencing physical pain and, and suffering and God brought about healing, physical healing. Or maybe God didn't heal you physically, but he gave you the ability to persevere through it. Right? it it's these kinds of experiences in our lives that we need to look back and say, God, you came through for me then. You will come through for me now. Maybe for some of us, we think, gosh, I can't think of any memorials in my life that I can look back to. But, but here's the thing, right? If, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, right, we have memorials that we can look back upon. One is our baptism. Our baptism. Right? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you've yet to be baptized, I want to encourage you uh, yeah, to talk to someone after service about being baptized as a follower of Jesus. Right? It, it, that is a physical representation right, of God's faithfulness and work in, in our lives, where he, um, where he took us out of death and, and sin down in those waters, and he brought us up into new life in Christ. Baptism is a, is a reminder of God's presence and, and faithfulness in our lives. Communion is, a, is, is like a memorial for us, right, where we have the cracker and the juice, and, and we participate every week where we remind ourselves of God's faithfulness through Christ, where God has taken care of our greatest need, which was we were separated from God because of our sins. And through Jesus' death and resurrection, he delivered us and brought us into the family of God through faith in him. So if God delivered us from our greatest danger, God will deliver us from any other circumstance in our lives. Sometimes that looks like actually taking us out of the circumstance. He'll heal us of the disease. He'll remove that destructive relationship. He will take away that, that situation that, that, that's just been hurting us so much. Sometimes he does that. But other times, the way that God delivers us is empowering us to persevere through that circumstance, that his grace is sufficient for that, 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 that sickness that, that he hasn't healed us from. And we won't be healed until we're in heaven. From that tough relationship or that difficult thing at work that God is not going to take away. But he will deliver us through giving us the strength to serve him and to love others through that circumstance. This morning, God has planned in advance the work that he wants us, the good deeds that he wants us to step into. And our response is to, to be prepared for them. But to know that we're not stepping into it alone, that we have the Lord with us. So we don't have to be afraid. We can be confident as we step into these opportunities. And we remind ourselves of that through taking communion. And we're going to do that right now. We're going to take communion as a way to remember the Lord's faithfulness 
in our lives. If you don't have a communion cup, uh, I want to encourage you to grab one on our back table uh, as we take communion together. We're reminded of the faithfulness, the perfect faithfulness of Jesus, right, who lived in perfect faithfulness to the Father, in obedience to him on earth. His sacrifice on the cross was for us. He was our substitute. His body was broken so that we would not face the just judgment of God for our sins. And so we, we, we hold this cracker, which is physical, right? It's, it's tangible. We can feel it. We can taste it. It is to stimulate our, our, our senses, to remind us of God's goodness and faithfulness through Christ. Let's go ahead and take of the cracker together. Thanking the Lord. We take of the juice remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us. That he is our greater Joshua who, who leads us into all the different things of life that we'll encounter. He is our good shepherd who will never leave us or forsake us. We can trust him because he gave up his life for us. Let's drink of the juice, thanking him for his sacrifice. One way to get involved in the work of God is through the, lo uh, is through the local church uh, through financial giving. You can do that at the box in the back or uh, online on our website. Well, let's stand as we respond to the goodness and faithfulness of God through, through song.